Welcome into the Locked on Knicks podcast, where today we revisit an old friend. Should the New York Knicks go after Chris Tapps Porzingis this summer? What's the upside? What's the downside? We get into it all now on Locked on Knicks. You are Locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast, and today's episode is brought to you by Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code Locked On NBA for twenty dollars off your first purchase. Last-minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. And we want to thank you for being an everydayer here on Locked On Knicks. If you're not an everydayer, there's an easy way to go about that. Remember to subscribe on your audio platform of choice or on YouTube and hit that notifications bell so you never miss an episode. But who's talking to you? I'm Gavin Shaw, your favorite play-by-play broadcaster's favorite play-by-play broadcaster. And uh, yeah, it's been it's been a little bit, guys. Uh, busy week uh, broadcasting uh, some lacrosse. Uh, state championships and all that good stuff, but back at it. And I thought it would be a time um, if you're a longtime fan of this show and you remember when I first started on this podcast, there were um, complaints from some and support from others that I was I was a big KP guy, a big Chris Stapps Porzingis fan. And I remember we did this pod. It was me, Alex, and our friend Schwinn over at Pod Strickland. Um, talking about the aftermath of the Chris Tapps Porzingis trade. I was kind of distraught. They were more of the mentality of screw this guy. Um, he's injury prone. The Knicks got a really good package for him and uh, we'll be better off without him. Ultimately, while I was like, oh, this is the end of the world. The Knicks didn't do their due diligence. They didn't talk to enough teams. They could have gotten a much better deal. How do you trade him without getting a young superstar? This is someone we were talking about. Uh, getting Devin Booker for a few months ago, and now we got this for him. Yada, 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 yada. Um, today, we look back a few years later. It was it was a real inflection point for the Knicks. It, it's easy to forget now, but at the time of acquisition, um, or maybe not the time of acquisition, but like a couple years into his, his career, um, Chris Stapps was, I don't know, like probably the most important young talent the Knicks got since Patrick Ewing, you could, you could throw Latrell Sprewell. You could throw Alan Houston in there. Um, Stefan Marbury for sure. Um, but in terms of ceiling, like that's what like pre ACL tear, that's what Porzingis represented to me, right? This was a guy who's seven, three hyper athletic at the start of his career. looked like he could create what was bombing threes, had a handle. Like I, I couldn't, visualize a Giannis like trajectory because that was I guess I mean I guess like a year after he tore his ACL was like right when Giannis started to or I mean like at that point Giannis was already Giannis but anyways my point was um like early in his career like Giannis wasn't quite Giannis yet um but that was I thought the trajectory in the best case scenario that he could have been on. And obviously, like, I'm not saying they're the same type of player, like KP, like from a physical standpoint, like it was ne- never even close in terms of strength and power and leaping ability. But I mean, in terms of a guy that if everything clicked, 
you just don't have a response for on the basketball court, right? With, with his shooting, with his ability to run the floor, with his handle, with his defense. I mean, some of the blocks he got were just ridiculous. Like I, I thought we were talking about like perennial all defense contender um, who was a multifaceted three-level scorer at seven for three offensively. And early in his career, we didn't totally get to see that because Carmelo Anthony um, was still sort of dominating things. And then we got that incredible 11-game stretch, and he was going to make his first all-star team. It seemed like it was all heading the right way. And then um, the ACL tear, which which he acknowledged, just changed everything in his career. Um, things soured further. That was a little bit the Knicks' fault. That was probably mostly KP and his brother's fault. And And just like that, he's gone. And then we look back at it over the ensuing few years, and it absolutely seemed like the Knicks caught a break because – he was a disaster in Dallas, um, could not find a way to play off of Luka Doncic, which maybe we're, we're finding out now is, is a little bit harder than, than one would think for another superstar. Um, and obviously, it was he was in some ways almost an elevated version of the guy that Nick's traded for in that deal from Dan Smith Jr. in Dallas and that like he was never going to be as good as Luka. So if there was any kind of overlap in their games, Luka was always going to get priority. KP was always going to take the backseat. And by the end of his time there, like he was, he was a, a glorified, like Mike Muscala, essentially. Like he was, he was really just there to sit on the arc, space the floor, hopefully protect the rim on the other end. And then he goes to the Wizards has a pretty good run the second half of last year. And then this year has, I mean, arguably like the best year of his career. Um, the Wizards were 8.5 points better per 100 possessions when he was on the floor. as in the 91st percentile in the NBA. Um, if you haven't already, you should check out uh, Jonathan Macri's um, article on him in the Knicks Film School newsletter. He points out um, that the Knicks were a top five offense, or not the Knicks, the Wizards, top five offense when KP is on the floor, uh, bottom five offense when he's off the floor, and, and significantly better in non-transition situations um, when he's on the floor. So I think if you're making a case for the Knicks, um, acquiring him at this juncture, it starts there with his ability to space the floor. Um, for a while, looked like he was never kind of. Um, I'm trying to think of a good comfort. I mean, like it's a little like Quentin Grimesy, though. I think Quentin Grimes is going to end up being like a special shooter. Honestly, Devin Booker is a really good example of it. Um, though now he's kind of become that guy of someone who's like hype coming into the league. Was this dude was absolutely going to be an elite, like all capital letter shooter. And then they ended up being a star for other reasons. Like that was kind of the KP story for me, like early in his career where it was like, all right, he's like, he's a very good shooter for seven for three guy where he's like on high volume is shooting like 35, 36% from three, but he he's not Dirk Nowitzki, which I think was, was, I mean, obviously it was never a super realistic comp. It was kind of like the high end, like dreamers comp for him. Um, and, and he kind of excelled despite the fact that he didn't become like that, that type of all time special shooter for a big guy. But then last year he got closer to that. He was 38% from three again, from high volume He's 50% on corner threes. Um, he was 72% at the rim. That all added up to the highest effective field goal percentage of his career. And I think it's fascinating if you got to watch him play at all. I'm not, not going to pretend I sat there and watched every game, but I watched like a decent amount of the guy and he's not the same athlete that he is early in his career. I don't think he's in the same universe as like when Kevin Durant, was calling him a unicorn. Like that level of explosion, like all the different leg injuries he's had, I, I think that is forever gone to some extent. That being said, he's still a plus athlete for a seven for three guy. Super smooth in how he moves around the court. K 
can still absolutely go up and catch a lob with great size, super long arms, um, very similar to Mitch in that respect and how like Mitch is not the same athlete that he is early in his career, but is so big and also like had such an athletic advantage near the beginning of his career that you still have like some margin for error there, even if it's not the same. And all that applies defensively, where, where you look early in his career, right? He the, KP was a guy who looked like he was going to be in the top five in the NBA in blocks for, for basically the entirety of his prime. He's not quite that as a shot blocker anymore. Still still decent in that respect, but has gone from a guy who is like 90th percentile plus um, in terms of his block percentage to now kind of more like in the 60s, 70s, like a good good rim protector, kind of what you would expect from a seven foot three guy who, who's not, again, like a top like 10 percentile athlete uh, anymore. Also doesn't really foul much and, and, and moves his feet pretty well. So was completely transformative for them offensively. Defensively was solid enough. And for the Knicks, like I, I think how you approach this is you desperately need floor spacing. I, I've said it on a couple of pods this offseason, uh, and I, I think the more I think about it, the more resolute I kind of become in this take. But I don't think there's there's a world where like the Knicks team that reaches the finals or wins a championship has all three of R.J. Barrett, Julius Randle, and Mitchell Robinson. And things worked out so dramatic so far dramatically better than i put possibly could have imagined for this team offensively this year with those three guys again top five offense in the league or, or top three offense in the league top three offense in nba history because they were special at offensive rebounding did not turn the ball over and had a fantastic shot profile and let jalen brunson who despite again like arguably like some of the worst circumstances in the league in terms of how the floor was spaced it was spaced was able to be one of the more efficient high volume scorers in basketball. But I wonder what happens when you turn the dial up like even more in his favor. What if instead of Mitchell Robinson, you had Kristaps Porzingis, someone who opposing centers would have to be attached to um, outside the arc and you remove all rim protection. Like what does that do for Jalen Brunson at the rim? What does that do for Emmanuel quickly at the rim? RJ Barrett at the rim? Man, maybe most importantly, Julius Randle, who put together a far more efficient year, despite the fact that he would beat his guy and there would always be another big waiting for him on the floor because he was never played at the five. And even when he played with Isaiah Hardenstein, that only provided a modicum more of spacing. What would happen if you had a genuine stretch five in Chris Haps Porzingis? I think that could potentially revolutionize the Knicks offense um, because you would have a team especially if R.J. Barrett improved his shooting, that if not genuinely five out, I think you could call it four out. With with Jalen Brunson, a shooter you have to respect. Quinn Grimes or Emmanuel Quickly, a shooter you absolutely have to respect. Kristaps Porzingis, a shooter you have to respect. And Julius Randle and R.J. Barrett as both shooters you kind of have to respect. All right, so where would this put the Knicks um, in the Eastern Conference pecking order? Uh what would the actual trade be that would get the Knicks the flexibility to bring in Chris Stapps Porzingis? Um, I'm going to talk about that in just a sec. But before I do so, I need to tell you guys all about our friends over at Game Time. Because buying tickets to your favorite events should not be stressful. Game Time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater near you with killer deals on last-minute tickets and their best price guaranteed 
you can stop stressing over the tickets and start getting hyped for all the fun you'll have. Forget planning months in advance. Game Time has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event, and you can get exclusive flash deals on tickets for things like football, basketball, baseball, concerts, comedy, theater, and more. The Game Time guarantee means you'll always have the best price. If you find tickets in the same section row for less, Game Time will credit you 110% of the difference. Snag the tickets without the stress with Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code LOCKEDONNBA for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code LOCKEDONNBA for $20 off. Download Game Time today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. All right, guys, uh, let's get into it um, on on what the upside would be or, and where the Knicks would place in the Eastern Conference pecking order. So I did this on our pod the other day, like how the Knicks would look with no changes. To me, swapping out Mitch for KP, which would have some downside, which I'll get into next segment, um, would elevate the Knicks because I think you are looking at um, a team that could replicate last year's run to a top three offense um, in a more sustainable fashion towards the playoffs. Because the issue for the Knicks is, and, and granted, they were playing the best regular season defense in the NBA in the first round, the Cavs, and ultimately the best playoff defense by a pretty decent margin in the Miami Heat. So that is a pretty substantial qualifier um, that I, I, I think is worth noting. But the Knicks absolutely sucked defensively um, in the playoffs, right? Um, this was a team that went from uh, or not defensively, offensively in the playoffs. This is a team that went from, again, a top three offense in the, or top five offense in the history of basketball to the second worst offense in the playoffs um, behind or ahead of only the Cleveland Cavaliers. Uh, average just um, 97.6 points per 100 possessions in the playoffs. Uh, shot just 29% from three in the playoffs, which is worst in the league. And even the regular season, like that wasn't really a strength of the Knicks. Um, they were only 19th three-point percentage. Granted, they got it done on pretty high volume, which offset the fact that they weren't super-duper efficient in that respect. Um, I think KP bulletproofs them in the playoffs from that a bit and, and opens up some fascinating possibilities for the Knicks offensively. Like, like Julius and KP running spaced pick-and-rolls, I think would be pretty unguardable when you have a six foot ten guy and Julius, who's, who's an absolute physical force when he's healthy, who can pass with KP rolling towards the rim. Um, when you have Brunson and KP running pick and pops, like, and you get opposing big switched on to Brunson, like I think Brunson could have a year where he averages 27 points per game pretty efficiently. I think if we get the same version of RJ we had, who is willing to kick it out uh, when he draws two on a drive, like that is so much more deadly. When instead of like these, these away even the Cavs and he could defend him is with a big helping. Instead, it would be a small helping or Randall's man ha- helping because you have a big stuck on Porzingis on the perimeter. So that allows RJ either to get all the way to the rim um, against two small defenders or the big does come over and you have KP, who's a monster shooter, who not only can space to the three point line, but one of the beauties of KP. And I think why he was so transformative for the Wizards offense when he was on the floor is he can space out to quote unquote four point range, right? He can sit 25, 26, 27 feet from the basket and you still have to guard him as a defense because he can make shots from there. Um, So I I think that would be exceptionally deadly. I I think it would do wonders for for Quentin Grimes, who would see even more open threes, who would see even harder closeouts. And I think with a little bit of improvement for him would be able to attack them and, and be super decisive doing so. Emmanuel quickly and KP getting some minutes together is really, really tantalizing. Like if you pull KP early, 
put Isaiah Hardenstein in for the start with the starters for a bit, and then have KP playing bench minutes with quickly with RJ. I think those lineups would absolutely kill people. Um, so I would put the Knicks with that deal. I think right there with Boston, and I guess you'd have to grandfather in Miami as the favorites in the Eastern Conference. Um, the Bucks in that mix as well, if they find a way to bring Brooke Lopez back. Um, but if they don't, I could honestly, this sounds insane to say, um, I could see the Knicks maybe not as a regular season team, but as a playoff threat, like at least being on par with the Bucks. Point is, Knicks would be clear-cut top four in the Eastern Conference with a little bit of upside there, like if Boston ends up moving off of Jalen Brown, or if Miami, like, doesn't really prove to be able to sustain what they did this year, which as I outlined last podcast, I think is totally plausible. Um, but the even more important question is here is how would the Knicks actually do this? Because I, I think when people think about acquiring Chris Stapps Porzingis, they are mostly talking about a deal um, where the Knicks move off Julius Randle. And while that remains a possibility um, and, and KP last year actually did really well when the Wizards played him um as a power forward. So in a world where you keep Mitch, you keep KP, that's somewhat doable. I think you run into some real issues defensively. Um, and, and I don't know how plausible that is in the playoffs. I think that's a regular season lineup that can work. Um, I think in the playoffs, you get punished for it in, in certain matchups against certain teams. Um, and, and it kind of, it slightly defeats the purpose of having a more space floor because KP is kind of like a slight upgrade. You know, he's, he's like a, a moderate upgrade maybe over Randall as a three-point shooter. He's obviously an infinite upgrade over Mitchell Robinson as a shooter. So how do you make that all work money-wise? Um, you'd have to sign and trade Mitch to the Wizards. That would presume that the Wizards um, would be interested in such a deal. I think they would be uh, because Mitch is, is too much of a talent play for them to not do that. Um, and if you want them to help you even more financially, maybe there's a world where you also give them back uh, their first-round pick in 2024 that the Knicks have. Obviously, that would be very desirable. Uh, for Washington, um, you also have to find a way to get off of Evan Fournier. I've been advocating for this all offseason. I think there's a deal to be made there uh, with the Orlando Magic. Um, return, bring Evan home. I'm, I'm sure there are fans. We can ask our guy, Philip Rossman Reich, who does the Locked on Magic podcast, how interested they would be in that. Um, they desperately need shooting. Um, Fournier, obviously a pr proven commodity in that market. I think the Knicks get away with Fournier, maybe a few second round picks uh, for Chuma Okiki. Um, who would be a nice uh, depth piece for the Knicks um, as kind of a 3-4 type of guy. Um, and then if you're the Knicks, you just decline Derrick Rose's contract. That leaves the Knicks at $164 million, um, maybe um, paying some uh, luxury tax, but below like the hard um, second apron of $169 million. And now I'm not a cap expert, so if I have my math wrong there, feel free to let me know in the comments. But I would have that as somewhat doable for the Knicks and maybe they make uh, more moves. Like ultimately maybe they move Emmanuel quickly, which I wouldn't really um, advocate because I love Emmanuel quickly, uh, but there might be more to be done there that makes that all work and look good um, for the Knicks. Um, but my point is, I think that is doable. Um, again, there's an alternative scenario where you just kind of trade Randall form straight up. You bring Chris Stapps Porzingis, you try to make it work like that. Again, to me, that that's less interesting, less exciting of the scenarios. Um, is there some downside with bringing KP back? Uh, yeah, I think I think there is. Um, and we'll get into it in just a sec. But before we do that, uh, we got to talk about our friends over at Price Picks. Um, tonight, I, uh, for game three of the NBA Finals, I think I am going to take 
Uh, Nikola Jokic over eight assists. I think he bounces back as a passer. I think guys make a few more shots, specifically Michael Porter Jr. I am taking Jimmy Butler over 25 points. I think he is due for a signature performance, even though he's playing hurt. Um, and how does price picks ultimate work? Ultimately work. You pick two to six players and they sc- go score more or less than their price picks projection. You can win up to 25 times your money on any entry. No competing against other people, just you versus the projections available. Price picks offers projection. Any sport you can watch that includes the NBA, NFL, MLB, NHL, PGA, college football, men's college basketball, women's college basketball, soccer, WNBA, esports, and so much more. It's currently operational in over 30 states in Canada and it takes 60 seconds or less. All you have to do is download the Price app or go to pricepicks.com and sign up and play daily fantasy sports. First time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with promo code locked on. If you deposit $100, Price will give you $100. If you deposit $50, Prize picks will give you $50. Don't forget to enter promo code locked on to sign up for an instant deposit match up to $100. All right, guys, uh, let's wrap this up by talking downside. So KP has, um, without directly saying it, kind of in a Donovan Mitchell-esque fashion, um, he's he, he's been a little thirsty uh, for MSG. He's talked about how much he loved his time on the Knicks, how special he is. And it all sort of has the vibe of a guy who broke up with a girl with the premise that he could do better. And his friends were kind of like, dude, I don't really know. She was great. She was really good to you. She was hot. Uh, she was nice. She was sweet. Um, you guys you guys were great together. You laughed. Why mess with the good thing? And look, that, that, is, that is seeing things through rose-tinted glasses, which you, which you often do after a breakup. Um, but... I think while KP's run here wasn't perfect, there was a lot to appreciate about him as a player. And I think he's now seen with the benefit of time and age and um, some of the the crazy stuff that was going around him at the time and some of the allegations that were going on around him at the time aside, um, I think he would look back on his Dick's tenure and say, wow, uh, that was really good nothing like playing in the garden. There's nothing like playing for Knicks fans. Um, and I, I think, I think that's, that's kind of the revelation he's come to. And that, that's what happens sometimes with breakups. You go back and you look a few years later and you're like, Oh man, I like, I didn't, I didn't know how good I had it. And I think, I think that is, that is kind of what's happened with Chris Stapp's Porzingis. So I think, I think he does want to be back here. I think I wouldn't be super concerned about like a scenario where like it goes bad from a personality perspective at this point. Like it seems like the guy has, has, genuinely matured um but on the court where i think it go wrong um you you lose one of the components right off the bat by trading mitchell robinson that made you one of the greatest offenses again in nba history um not accounting for pace today like i i don't to be clear actually think the knicks um in in a in a, in a pound for pound context were one of the best offenses ever but let's just say one of the best offenses in the league last year um your offensive rebounding goes away the knicks were right there with the rockets for the best offensive rebounding team in basketball and in the playoffs, particularly against the Cavs, they doubled down on that strength, and and they and, and that almost single-handedly ended the series against Cleveland. KP is a very very poor offensive rebounder. Um, he, he the Wizards were just in the 15th percentile in the league in offensive rebounding when he was on the floor. Granted, you still have Josh Hart to make up for some of that gap. Julius Randle is fantastic at that, so he makes up for some of that gap. But you are not nearly the same in that capacity. I think it's canceled out by the fact that you're making a lot more shots as a team. Uh, you're making a lot more threes. Um, so those offensive rebounds are less necessary. And against a team like Miami that in the playoffs that can, can find answers to that offensive rebounding, 
you are insulated because I don't think there's a team in the league that could find an answer for a Knicks offense, again, with five special scoring threats on the floor at all times. Um, you're going to drop off from being an elite playoff defense with the Knicks. Um, again, we're right behind Cleveland. I'm only allowing, uh, or I, I think they might have been first. Um, they only allowed 99.7 uh, points per game in the playoffs. That is absurdly good. Um, they held Miami down better than Boston, who was the second best defense in the NBA in the regular season. They held them better down than Milwaukee, who was the best defense in the league in the regular season. Um, They're holding them down better than the Denver Nuggets are, who have turned into a pretty good defense in the playoffs. Part of that was Miami just shooting a bit worse against the Knicks. Part of it is that the Knicks were legitimately great defensively, and it all started with Mitchell Robinson, um, by and large, taking away the rim against opposing teams and taking away second-chance opportunities, um, certainly against the Cavs. Um, a little bit less so against the Miami Heat, but still doing a really good job of that. And that was a Mitch that was somewhat hurt. You get a healthy Mitchell Robinson, the playoffs could even go to another level. Um, I think what KP brings defensively means that you won't take a total drop off on that end of the floor, but all of a sudden um, you're, you're playing um, a well below average defender in Jalen Brunson. Um, another one who is extraordinarily inconsistent in Julius Randle. R.J. Barrett, who was um, awful, awful, awful defensively in the regular season before rebounding to be pretty good on that end. In the playoffs, you're taking a bit of a risk there that um, you end up in similar circumstances during the regular season where those guys don't defend the same way, and all of a sudden you're bleeding points if you're the Knicks. I don't think Tibbs lets that happen. I think Quentin Grimes, I think Emmanuel Quickly, Josh Hart, all do enough to keep the Knicks around league average defensively. Um, the deja vu component of of if things were to go wrong, where like KP's like, you know what, I'm back here. I actually don't like this. Or or another guy in the Knicks is like, I actually don't like this. Um, I think there's a world where those issues prop up because you're not going to keep all five guys happy. If, if let's just say you have, um, you're, you're not starting Grimes, you're starting quickly, um, or you're using quickly as a six man, but you have quickly, you have Brunson, you have RJ, you have Randall, you have KP. I think at some point that blows up because all five of those guys see themselves as 20-plus point-per-game scorers. And Jalen Brunson is not taking a backseat to anyone at this point in New York. I think Julius Randle, when he's fully healthy, doesn't see himself as taking a backseat to anyone in New York. I think RJ is going to be buoyed by what he did in this playoffs, and he's going to come to this season and be like, all right, I'm ready to, to be that dude. I'm ready to hit another level. I think Quentin Grimes, he's going to want to establish himself as a 15-point scorer. I, I don't see a world where you keep Emmanuel quickly long-term if his role gets diminished even further and he becomes even less of a threat offensively. To me, making this KP trade is almost a one-year all-in move and saying, hey, I know we're young. I know there's still room for linear growth, but we are pushing our chips into the table and we are trying to win a title this year. And I think that honestly is a team that is capable of pulling it off. I still think they would be far from the favorite for an NBA championship. They might be, I don't know, sixth, seventh in the pecking order league-wide, which is a fantastic position to be in. It's a better position than than the Knicks have been in at any point since the 99-2000 team. Um, I don't know if that's enough to go all in on KP. And granted, like the Knicks can retool, like whether they ultimately trade RJ, whether they trade quickly, whether they repackage like a couple of these guys, for a star wing, like that's not a reason to not do the deal because they can move off some of these guys and end up with something even better. But I guess my point is saying like, if your goal is to build around this current core, I think bringing in KP interrupts that 
because I don't think you're going to keep all these guys happy in a long-term sustainable way. There's also some opportunity cost uh, in terms of acquiring Kristaps Porzingis in that it probably prevents you from signing like an even starrier free agent around the road. But the Knicks would probably have to move off someone to do that anyways, um, even with their current core. Um, so I don't really see that as a big issue. The point is for the Knicks, they're in about as privileged of a position as you can be in the NBA right now, where they're paying a top 15 guy and Jalen Brunson um, like an elite role player. And they have all their draft picks going forward. They have four other picks with which to work with. And they have a plethora of young talent um, and guys like Grimes, RJ, and Quickly that is far from disposable, but also they have the luxury of moving off those guys without breaking up maybe the most, certainly the most important piece on their team in, in um, Jalen Brunson. And you could argue the second most important piece in Julius Randle. Um, it's just kind of what the Knicks decided to do with that. And I think Chris Tapps Porzingis is a valuable proposition. We're going to have more on this over the summer. I want to at some point get on the Lockdown Wizards guys, get get their take on what KP does well, what he doesn't do well, how he would ultimately fit in with the Knicks. Um, but this is kind of an initial uh, take on why it wouldn't be a bad idea to revisit Chris Tapps Porzingis on the New York Knicks. That's it for now. I'm Gavin Shaw. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Lockdown Knicks.